Welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where all that the Catholic Church believes and teaches is served fresh daily. So come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzymski. Greetings and welcome to the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff, and I'm sitting here in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe, and joining me, of course, is Tom Dorian. Tom, you doing all right? I'm wonderful. How are you? Why well, you're, you're always wonderful. There's nothing... <laughs> I'm with you. You never have any tragedies in you. your life? Got a great guest. We have another one of the Franciscan Friars of the Renewal. We're always excited How about these guys. How can you not be wonderful? Join mm-hmm. us in the luxurious... I know it might be a little too luxurious for you. Uh, we have Father Glenn Sedano. Mm-hmm. Sedano, I said that right. That's it. We'll just call you Father Glenn. that make it easier. Uh, two N's. Two N's, Father Glenn. <laughs> so we'll just... Glenn, Glenn. Uh, so welcome, Father Glenn, Thank to you. the luxurious corner booth at the Catholic Cafe. Uh, thank you. I got my coffee. Thank you very much. All right, very good. good. We thought that you would be a good person to talk to us about how the Friars of the Renewal... Mm got started and and where that came from what the charism and and i know i've had a couple of the friars on before and we've talked a little bit about that you're called the franciscan friars of the renewal Mm -hmm. and we were like well what are you renewing Mm -hmm. what is that all about but you were actually there at the beginning were you not you were involved in the founding well the 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 most famous person in the group is father benedict rochelle who i suspect is maybe one of the most maybe well-known priests in the united states at this time and a, a prolific writer a very spiritual man, and um, Father Benedict and I, uh, uh, another well-known person, I think that the listeners may know if they watch EWTN, is Father Andrew Apostoli. Uh, he was right. he was in our little group, and um, and also Father Stan Fortuna, who uh, right. a lot of people know, especially as particularly young people. But uh, Father Stan, who's a great singer, and um, but there were eight of us, and we uh, all of us belonged to a, a religious order called the, the Capuchins. And uh, in Italian, I'd be called a cappuccino. Right. Uh, now that we're in the, maybe I could order a cappuccino. Oh, yeah, here. We have those. We okay. have those here at the Catholic Cafe. <laughs> and, uh, uh, the, cap- the, the coffee is named after the Capuchins because of the, the brown color of the Capuchin habit. Mm. And, um, and the uh, cappuccio in Italian means a hood. And so the Capuchins have a, a long hood. And um, so, uh, so we were all members of this community called the Capuchins, uh, which is a worldwide community, Franciscan community. But, well, let me use a little analogy of coffee since we're in the diner. If I order, when I I finally get my coffee, if the waitress gives me my coffee and it's lukewarm, I'm not going to complain too much. I'm probably not going to order a second cup. Right, right, it doesn't uh, do the trick. Yeah. It's I'm not, okay, but it's yeah, not... I'm not going to order a second It's cup. not bad, per se. It's Correct. just not yes, really there. Exactly. And uh, coffee is supposed to be served hot. And I think what happens, and it happens in religious life, it happens in marriages, it happens in friendship, it happens all over, uh, is there's a tendency that something can begin to lose its edge, lose its heat, and um, and then lose its attractive quality to it. Right, its its flavor exactly disappears. So we found this, and and uh, it was not particular to our religious community. So uh, I think almost every religious community in the church uh, suffered from the the cooling winds, if you will, of called secularism. And and after the Vatican Council, there was a lot of confusion. I, I believe many of our our listeners probably know the situation, and. Um, uh, but so it was in the uh, it was in the late eighties when uh, eight of us really began to see that uh, the vocations were were down. 
there was a sort of, a, 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 one again, that loss of attractiveness to the community. And so we asked if we would be, uh, be, uh, begin again. Now, did you decide this, though, as a group? Did, were you happen to be sitting together, you know, sipping coffee at some well, point? As I say, well, maybe. <laughs> well, birds of a feather flock together. And so, and, and quite naturally, you know, we were dissatisfied, you know, uh, right. uh, dissatisfied with the, the whole scheme of things. Uh, and it wasn't, once again, it was not necessarily just our religious community, but it was just the state of affair in the church. Interestingly enough, the person that uh, caught our attention was Mother Teresa of Calcutta. Hmm. Uh, we just happened to be watching uh, a, a movie, a video of her. The last scene of the video is Mother Teresa blessing hordes of these young women, these novices, these white-veiled right. sisters. And we, we, it sort of confirms something in all of us. It's just like, you know, it's, there's not a lack of vocations. There's a lack of inspiration. Right. There's a, there's a lack of, of direction. There's a lack of... Uh, uh, and so, um, so Mother Teresa is the one who uh, I think sparked our decision to do something. And thanks to Cardinal O'Connor, the late great Cardinal O'Connor, the Archbishop of New York, uh, he told us that if we proceeded according to canon law, and you know, our, you want to do things right we within did, the church, you got it. Yeah, we, we, this was not about any type of new reformation or of us doing. There were no ninety-five theses no, being no, nailed no. anywhere, right? No. <laughs> But um, uh, but we did have we had we did have our own ones uh, our own thoughts about how to live our life. What are some of the differences? What are some of the things that you decided that you would well institute in your your now fledgling uh, uh, order? A uh, simple thing is that we decided to return back to what the early Capuchins uh, did, and that is not uh, run parishes. Simplest thing, not to run right. a parish. There's nothing wrong with running parishes. In fact, parishes need to be run. Oh, and bishops. I'm thankful for having a parish. You know. <laughs> and bishops are always asking us, even the bishops of of, uh, the, of the diocese that we're in, sort of kindly asking us, "Would you take a parish?" But we decided not to do parochial work uh, because traditionally the Capuchins were more missionaries, and um, and quite frankly, the parish keeps you at home, right. in particular on weekends. In terms of identity, in, in knowing a CFR when you see one on the streets, obviously you, were, you, you felt it important to dress a certain way or to... Well, interesting enough, that would be another thing. We decided that we would wear our habits as our ordinary clothing. Now, most religious uh, would wear their habit, certainly in the monastery, in the friary, in a priory, but once they step out into the street, quite often they would not wear the habit. I would have to say, if I could say this, that they should wear some type of a, 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 of, of a distinctive garb. Uh, at least that's what the church desires. It doesn't have to be their habit. Mm -hmm. What developed was that uh, they wore the habit, and uh, but then once you you go to the Home Depot to pick something up, you right. you went uh, what we call it mufti, you know. Right. Well, we decided that, no, we're going to wear the habit. It's going to be our ordinary clothes. Now, if some of the younger guys are playing basketball or there's a friar, you know, changing oil on the car, well, you, of course, they're wearing something appropriate. I've seen some of the habits, and I think some of them have been changing the oil on the car in their habits. So. <laughs> That's true. Well, we're guys, you know. Right. Thank God we're not Dominicans that wear white, you know. <laughs> and um, uh, so, yeah, that would be another thing that no matter, so on the plane or train or subway or street, uh, the friars, people see the friar wearing 
the habit. And nowadays it's, it's even more important because you could have a young Catholic kid that might think that we're a Muslim. They, they never saw a religious habit before. But the more that we get around now, the more that the, the are certainly our neighbors. You're, you're, you're trying to draw people out by doing that. Yeah, well, trying to say, well, God exists, you know. Right. And and to tell you the truth, when I see a, a Hasidic Jew, when I see a Muslim, mm-hmm. and they're wearing whatever they're wearing, or even just not even a Hasidic Jew, just a, a, a an Orthodox Jew with a, the yarmulke. Right. Yeah. Uh, sometimes I, I'll even I see them. I'll even thank them. For giving witness, and that's why they do it. They give, they do it. Well, for God's, of course, for God's honor or glory or respect. But they they know what they're doing. But that's not always just about them, right? Sometimes it's nice as a visible sign, right, to mm-hmm. to, to be able to see that. Talk a little bit about how important it is for maybe uh, clergy to wear clerics or or the even uh, or the religious to wear some kind of identifying garb when you're out in. Yeah. As an example, do people approach you because of your, yeah, your well, it, habit? Well, it gives uh, – I tell the novices uh, – when I was the novice master, I would, give, I would give them a little talk on the habit. And I would tell them, as soon as you put this habit on, uh, it's, like a, it's like a huge magnifying glass uh, what, you, what you do or what you don't do. So how you treat a person, if, you, if, it's, a, it's, if, it's, if it's a little bad, it's going to be very bad to them. They'll remember it for, for the rest of their life. If it's a little good – a smile, a visit, a conversation, they may remember that for the rest of their lives. That's wonderful. Mm-hmm. And it also, it is a key, it is a key into people's lives. And I mean, uh, quite frankly, even if, I'm, if you're in Manhattan, I'm a New Yorker, I'm walking down the street, let's say if I was wearing civvies, I said hello to somebody. Now, New Yorkers, I have to say, are friendly, but we're a little bit leery. Like, why Different is it? kind of friendly. <laughs> right. <laughs> They're sort of saying, why is it? what do they want? You say, what do they want? What's going on here? If I'm my habit, I could say hello to everyone, and I do. I do try to smile, and I say hello to people. And you get that back, I'm sure. You do. Uh, you know, sometimes we have what's called the parrot effect because people are a little bit nervous. And so as they're walking down the street, they see us, they put their head down. And so I say, hello, and then they'll look up and they'll say, hello. Uh, <laughs> or I say, morning, they'll say, morning. <laughs> they, they get a little bit nervous. But I could go over to you, and I said, uh, I, uh, when's the last time you went to confession? Tom, you're on the radio. This is your opportunity to let everyone No, no, I'm not asking you for the answer. But I, is that, so he I, held up four fingers. Now, I don't know if that said four months, no, that was four years. years. <laughs> but, see, I could, I could say those things. Uh, you know, I have to read the situation. Right. But, see, they know who I am. They know I'm a priest, I'm a monk, a brother, whatever. They, they, and, uh, and so there is a... There's a predisposition of being open and 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 uh, trusting, and uh, of course, are, are there exceptions? Yes, but to, to tell you the truth, I haven't I haven't found many. So I can immediately go into the person. You know, how are things going? Are you doing okay? You know, just about even just have that. You know, you look a little sad. Is everything okay? They will respond. If quite frankly, if I was not dressed. In uh, as I am, they, I would obviously even if I sort of say, you know, I'm a priest, it's not going to work. Right. Not no, a, I understand that. I, I will tell you though, as a deacon, I in our diocese I wear clerics. Mm-hmm. Not all deacons do, mm-hmm. but I do know that when I wear clerics and I'm out, if, I, if I'm going somewhere, going to teach a class, or I'm going to a church, or coming back from a baptism or whatever, and I'm wearing these clerics, and I go into a restaurant or whatever. The number of times that I've been asked questions, mm. specifically because I'm wearing the clerics, not because, like, why are you wearing those, but it's more like, 
hey, are you a Catholic priest? No, I'm a deacon. Oh, well, so you're Catholic. Yeah. So why do you all worship Mary? Or why do you, you know, I get these questions just in, in a, at, a, at a restaurant, you know, at a fast food restaurant. Well, let me tell you this. Being a cynical New Yorker, and, and I, New Yorkers always put uh, four cents in, I have a theory why some priests and religious do not wear the habit is because it does elicit questions. And it may be questions that they don't want to answer. Maybe it's questions that they just they they just feel uncomfortable. Maybe they they could be a little bit mm, confused themselves, or maybe not convinced themselves, or maybe they don't. Maybe have, they're tired, or whatever it is. They don't. Yeah. They may not want to be guarded. And, and I say this with all due respect. I, I don't want to give the impression that any uh, religious that is not wearing a habit is somehow is less than a religious. That is not my point. Read my lips. That's right. We're reading your lips. Okay. I can, but we're on the radio, so we <laughs> need his voice. That's right. So, um, but I would have to say that, generally speaking, I think it's what the people want. And I think if religious were, if they were really sincerely seeking to be servants to the church and trying to serve the laity, if they went to the laity and said, excuse me, I am a sister, or I am a brother, or I am a religious priest, how do you want me, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to live? And they said, well, you know what I really would like? I think it would really be nice if you wore sort of some type of an identifiable, gar- uh, identifiable garb. I think it would be good if you live in community. It would be really nice that you that you really pray together as the church would really want and um, uh, and that you give good example. Sounds a lot like the Friars of the Renewal. It does. Well, we're, we're, we're trying. <laughs> Very good. But you know what? Just like I have the coffee in front of me now, it could get cold. Got to stay on top of your game. That's right. We're only 24 years old. Uh, and that's a baby in the church. It's a baby. The ink is still moist yeah. on our constitution. Well, all eyes are watching. so And that's why we have to do our best. Good. We are going to come back and talk mm-hmm. uh, uh, with Father Glenn a little bit more about this wonderful order. Uh, before we do that, I want to remind everyone at home that we have a wonderful website, www.thecatholiccafe.com. Love for you to email me at deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. And so with that, we'll be right back. And this is another great moment in church history. Just about every family that celebrates Christmas will set up a nativity scene somewhere in their home. But most people are unfamiliar with the origins of this beautiful custom. The solemn tradition of the Christmas crash was started by none other than St. Francis of Assisi in the early 13th century. Just a few short years before his death, St. Francis traveled to Greccio, a small Italian town built on a beautiful mountainside, so that he might celebrate Christmas there. But because the local church was not near large enough to hold all those who desired to attend Midnight Mass, he sought permission from the Pope to hold Mass in a niche in a mountain wall in the town square. But this Midnight Mass would prove to be quite unique. St. Francis set up the altar in preparation for the solemn occasion. St. Bonaventure, in his work, The Life of St. Francis of Assisi, written just after the death of St. Francis, takes up the story from here. He says, Then he prepared a manger and brought hay and an ox and an ass to the place appointed. The brethren were summoned. The people ran together. The forest resounded with their voices. And that venerable night was made glorious by many and brilliant lights and sonorous psalms of praise. 
the man of God, St. Francis, stood before the manger, full of devotion and piety, bathed in tears and radiant with joy. The Holy Gospel was chanted by Francis, the Levite of Christ. Then he preached to the people around the nativity of the poor king, and being unable to utter his name for the tenderness of his love, he called him the Babe of Bethlehem. That would be special enough if the story ended there, but it doesn't. St. Bonaventure then goes on to tell us that a miracle occurred on that cold and clear Christmas morning on the mountainside. After St. Francis prayed before the tiny wooden manger, a beautiful baby appeared for all to see, sleeping in the manger. It was the Christ child. The entire town and all those pilgrims who had come to celebrate Midnight Mass with St. Francis were genuinely moved by this miraculous event. Not only that, but, lest anyone in the town should doubt, there were many stories of the miraculous healings that came from touching the hay on which Jesus slept. And so, to this very day, the tradition of the Christmas creche, the nativity scene, is held with great reverence in the homes of Christians throughout the world. I'm Bess Trzymski, and this is another great moment in church history. Welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. Here's Deacon Jeff. And we're back in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe. We're still joined here with Father Glenn Sedano, and Father Glenn is with the Franciscan Friars of the Renewal. And so, Father Glenn, we were just talking about what people might expect, what they'd want their religious to look like, to act like. So what we, you started to mention prayer a little bit. How does prayer work in, in your community? How is it different than what you were doing before? Well, of course, most religious communities do pray, uh, pray together. But um, one, I think one of the features that maybe I might just under, underscore is that we decided to have a Eucharistic holy hour every day. And interestingly enough, this was perhaps a direct influence of the person of Mother Teresa. Now, I talked about us watching a video of Mother Teresa. Right. But Mother Teresa, uh, uh, Father Benedict, who I mentioned earlier and who many of the listeners know, was uh, helped Mother Teresa find her first place in the South Bronx, when the South Bronx was really the South Bronx, very bad. Mm-hmm. And um, so we knew Mother Teresa. And um, uh, we went and told Mother Teresa what our desires were. And this is one of the things that she had mentioned to us about having the Eucharistic Holy Hour. And so uh, every day, most of the time it's from 5 to 6 o'clock, we we, uh, expose the Blessed Sacrament and we have this, uh, the Eucharistic Holy Hour. And uh, it seems to have been a a great uh, blessing to the community. One of the things I think that I, I love about the friar so much is you see these, these great young faces, mm-hmm. right? We have some older faces, right? Yeah, that are, right. You know, some, some of the founders. Mm-hmm. But also vocations have been very interesting, and, and I think it's beautiful that we have some of these, uh, these young uh, men mm-hmm. that are really drawn to this life. What kind of person is really interested? What, where are you finding your vocations for, uh, for the Franciscan Friars of the Renewal? Well, interesting, many of them are not from the Northeast. We started in the Bronx, and our first few houses were in New York. But um, uh, the vocations are coming from, interesting enough, from California, from Florida. Met a couple of guys from Nebraska. Mm-hmm. Oh, beautiful Nebraska. And um, 
Also, interestingly enough, we started receiving vocations from Europe, especially from uh, England, um, Ireland. Uh, we have uh, three uh, brothers from France, and mm. um, uh, and uh, we have one Nigerian. So uh, I think we, we uh, attract a young guy that, first of all, has a strong Catholic identity and really has a heart to bring renewal to the church. Um, also would have a desire to live very simply and also to work with the poor, uh, what we call hands-on work with the poor. Uh, so uh, we might have a... Uh, uh, you know, a soup kitchen, in, uh, it, uh, or or just actually just a place in the friary where the poor from the neighborhood would come in, and uh, so the community, no matter where we are, we have two houses in England, uh, two houses in Ireland, uh, two houses in Central America, um, one in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and another in Fort Worth, Texas, and of course a few here in New York and New uh, uh, in New Jersey, and maybe one day one in Memphis. Tom, I just mm. was throwing oh, that out there. We're praying. We can always pray. That's we it. can always pray, Father Glenn. Keep praying. <laughs> yeah, Keep praying. We need more vocations. We, yeah. need, to, we need some more uh, young men to hear this program yeah. and, and want to get involved. And I'm sure, I'm sure you have a, a, neighbor, a neighborhood that's a little bit on the uh, shaggy edge, right? I think every place does. <laughs> okay. I think every of course, place every place does. does. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And so now mm. um, we have these young men mm. that you think would be uh, the people that would typically be attracted to this. But there have to be some obstacles in the culture. There's got to be some reasons why that makes it difficult for people yes. to, to discern whether they're being called or not to this life. Well, I would have to say, particularly for us, we live a very strong family way of life. So, so St. Francis wanted a, the, the model was not military. The model was family. And so uh, we're brothers. Primarily we're brothers, even if you're ordained a priest. Uh, I noticed that they'll call the priests brothers uh, yeah, and, when they're referring to each and, other. And we may even have a, a man who is a brother who is uh, in charge of the house. And, and uh, so, uh, so we all live as brothers. But because we're, we live together closely and we pray together and work together and have to communicate, uh, you, a person that does not come from a family where that is common practice. So uh, let's, you know, there's a somewhat of a hackneyed word today, but it's called dysfunctional. Now there's, right. I'm not sure there's any functional family. There's been so many dysfunctional <laughs> families now, that's the norm, exactly. right? Exactly. But um, uh, I would have to say that if you grew up in a family where, let's say, there's just been a tremendous amount of alcoholism and, and with that a certain amount of denial and fear and hiding and this and that, well, you learn how to how to survive. You learn how to negotiate life, and um, you can't do that in a healthy religious community. You know, you can't simply just uh, walk through the hallway and someone say, "How you doing?" and you not respond, mm -hmm. uh, because that's what happened at home. But you can't do that in this home, right? So, uh, interestingly enough, twenty four years ago when we began the community, I was looking for the the heat of the coffee. And so I was interested in their fidelity to the church. Um, uh, do they understand that they want to live very poorly and, and this and that, which is still important. But I began to realize that uh, the m most important thing uh, the, is the basis of the family that they came from. So the secret question that I began to ask a young guy is, did you have a happy childhood? If a guy said, shakes his head and sort of just shakes his head, looks down and says, no, I, I, I did not have a happy childhood, Father. Um, quite often I discovered that they really did not, they were not able to make it the long haul. Because, of, again, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, we live together as family, it's human relationships, uh, it's not, 
we do supernatural things, if you want to say that, in terms of prayer. But it's 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 living, it's a family. It's a family, and and uh, so if 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 you had difficulty relating to your father. Or you hated your mother. You, you bring uh, another hackneyed word is baggage. Right. You you carry that baggage into the religious life, and we discovered that uh, after a few years, the person simply just gets tired carrying the bags. Right. Or when they get under a certain amount of stress, and there's stress in our life as there is in everyone's life. Um, that's where the so if the if there's a crack in the floorboard, if you pull the car into on that on the on the platform. It's going to crack yeah. right along that edge. Um, I would have to say that even uh, maybe addiction to to the internet and 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 perhaps even pornography. That today is is uh, if you have a young guy coming in and there's a real serious problem with that, um, they simply just can't step into religious life. Hmm. Uh, they're going to have to get some type of therapy. And some circumstances, like this, their 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 background is so bad that uh, it's going to be impossible. Is going to be impossible. right, and this is not you excluding them. This no. is you saying that this might not be the commitment that yes. you need to make at this time. Correct, because uh, it's a it's a challenge. This way of life is it's all in. That's it. Well, it's a beautiful family. Mm-hmm. I've experienced the friars of the renewal, mm-hmm. and I've yet to meet the unhappy friar. Mm-hmm. Now, you probably yeah. know of one or two. Don't tell me who they are. You'll just, you'll, you'll spoil my right. my image of you guys. So, someone listening to this right now are mm-hmm. saying, I'd be interested in finding out more. Mm-hmm. Where do they go? Years ago, they wrote us a letter. Or uh, it seems like a lot of the young guys today, of course, are going to the internet. They go to they could go to franciscanfriars.com, dot uh, com, and they check out the vocation section, and then probably they'll read our constitutions and see some nice pictures and and uh, see a video or two, and then they would call uh, Father Gabriel, who's our vocation director, and um, and then they'll do an initial interview on the phone. If it seems that the guy is is moving in the right direction in his life. Uh, you know, sometimes I'll ask, when I was a vocation director, I said, uh, how, uh, what kind of work are you in? They say, I'm in between jobs. Yeah. I said, when was the last one? It was four years ago. I said, you know what? It's a big in-between. Uh, it's a big in-between. <laughs> I would think that you... Uh, so, uh, yeah, they would contact Father Gabriel, and um, uh, if all goes well, they could come out to... Uh, New York to visit and um, and then see where it goes there. See where the Lord takes them. We discern. We do not recruit. We, yeah. we we do not recruit at all. We discern, and if uh, we think that the person's called to marriage or to a monastery or to whatever, we lay it on the table and we say, you know what, this life isn't for you. Hmm. But if it is, we're very honest and we say, listen, come back for another visit. Amen. Mm. Thank you so much, uh, okay. Father, for yes, sharing that with us and give us a little insight into the founding of the of the Friars of the Renewal. Thank you. You want to close in prayer for yes. us? Yes. In the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord God, we pray that the fire of your Holy Spirit might enkindle each of our hearts, no matter who we are or where we are, that we may become purified, that we may be tempered and strengthened, and that we might glow with God and be a light to all, especially those in our families or those uh, in our neighborhoods who are in darkness, that we might be able to lead them to you, the source of true and everlasting light. And we make this prayer through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Catholic Cafe. If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff, send an email to deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. The Catholic Cafe is brought to you by the Order of Malta Federal Association and is broadcast with ecclesial permission from J. Terry Stive, Bishop of Memphis in Tennessee. Join us again at the Catholic Cafe. 
there's always room for one more at our table. 